All right, patrons, we have a special treat for you today. My wife, Rebecca Shern, she has a podcast. It's called How to Love, and she asked me to co-host that podcast. And it's a private podcast, although there are public snippets available. So if you want to check out public snippets from any episode, you can do so at howtolove.show. But we also have a private long-form version of the podcast. And you're about to hear an entire episode. This is the sixth episode of How to Love, in which we talk about relationships and parenting and sex. We answer questions and we talk about a lot of uncomfortable topics. In fact, we get comfortable in our discomfort. You'll hear that in this conversation today. In fact, this is not a conversation I would share publicly. So I'm going to ask you as a patron of The Minimalists to not share this publicly, please. You can share it with your loved ones or immediate family, but this is for us. This is private. We're in that weird area of semi-public, semi-private. But We have some of these conversations that I would not want out there in front of the entire world. So enjoy this private conversation between me and Bex. This is from How to Love. And if you want more episodes, you can find them over at patreon.com slash how to love. This podcast has bad words. <laughs> This is How to Love, a podcast about relationships, sex, and parenting. I'm Becca Shern, here with my husband and co-host, Joshua Fields Milburn. Happy birthday month. Yeah. Yay, March. Where do you want your gift? In my butt. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a question about that later on. What? I know. Uh, I think we'll we'll hold off on that. Um, it's actually an R&B song. Uh, and it seems so incredibly egoic to me where the guy's like, it's your birthday. Where do you want your gift? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously I'm saying it jokingly, but I, I didn't sense any sort of uh, levity in it, the It was not a joke in, in the, the query. song. No, yeah. no, no. It's, it's, it's an old, it's real cheesy. Look up, if you're listening to this. Google, no, just hop on YouTube and, and type in like birthday gift R&B song. You'll see the video. It's hilariously oddies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah, whatever it was, 2006 or something. And it perfectly captures the awkwardness of that time period. Better than any other piece of art. art. So last episode was upsetting for a few people, Bex. Apparently. Uh, episode five, we talked a bit about Kevin Samuels. We talked about tough love. What were people upset about? I know you 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 read some of the comments to me. Yeah. yeah. And most people seem to really, really. Uh, it almost held up a mirror for some folks. Yeah, I think uh, most people reacted, or at least pe- the people who commented, right, um, reacted kind of how I did to Kevin. Yes. Like initially, you're like, "What the hell?" Right. This this is this is awful, right? He's treating people awfully. He's saying awful things. He's being harsh and overly judgmental. And but I think that, at least for me, as the conversation went on, you know, 
both on the podcast and off podcast, sure, I came to better understand like, yes, he's being a bit hyperbolic is not the right word, but kind of, mm-hmm. I mean, it, he's painting kind of a caricature of yes. a, of a portion, not the majority, uh, of, of some amount of, of women and how they, they act and men too. And for, men, yes. and, yeah, men for sure men as well. So I think that was maybe part of the discussion that rubbed might have rubbed women the wrong way. It certainly started rubbing me the wrong way. Felt mm-hmm. like, oh gosh, is this is this just ripping on women? Oh right, right, right. right. And and so we have a uh, comment here from Allison that you wrote down. You want to read that? I think it'd be a yeah, good yeah. good point to Joe. Now that we've got past the fact that it's your birthday month, <laughs> and we'll talk more about that later on because your birthday actually isn't until later in the month. Yeah. But we've got some. Uh, some discussion here about uh, we'll wait. We'll wait for the guess you had to be there segment for the birthday month stuff. Here is a comment from Allison. Yeah. So last episode was pretty upsetting. My husband and I thought Kevin Samuels was a huge asshole and felt some of Josh's words towards you were not kind at all. Hmm. Okay. That I think that's that's a, a fair comment in terms of. Yeah, I think I communicated the fact that I think he's kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. And. And same. The same way that Steve Jobs was an asshole, right? Right. It doesn't mean there isn't truth when someone is being unappealing and, and, and in her words, unkind. Right. I think also, uh, you know, and I fall victim to this, is like just because someone's an asshole doesn't mean it's not worth listening to what they have to say. Right. Right. Like, right, right. And I get that sometimes the level of assholery (laughs) Uh gets to a certain you know it gets loud enough that it drowns other stuff out yes but i don't feel like at least for me kevin wasn't at that level in any of the stuff we listened to Um, that's why we called it tough love right right i I really do believe that at least for me so let me talk about what resonates for me not Mm -hmm. not a belief but what rings true with me and it's quite often the people who are willing to say and do things that shake me to my core and I they almost shatter something mm-hmm. and then with the broken pieces I'm able to pick up those pieces and develop something new from from the remnants of what was shattered I'll give you a few examples one is Kapil Gupta you know yeah. who, who you and I have have been falling down that rabbit hole for the last you know six to twelve months whatever it's been uh, not even that long, six months or so. And and really, I can see how some people would be like, well, this is unkind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my friend Julian Smith, when I first encountered his writing, he had a blog post called, You Need to Stop Being a Fucking Pussy. Right. You mentioned that, I feel like, in yeah, episode five. I did. Yeah. A- and that was really unkind. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, I didn't see it as unkind. And so to Allison's comment about Josh's words toward you were not kind at all, Allison, you don't get to decide that. <laughs> In fact, here's the here's the caveat. Even I don't get to decide whether or not what I said to Bex is kind or unkind. Only she gets to decide that. And I think quite often we get caught up in the, you know, my intentions are, are good, right? Right. But if I do something with good intentions and you're offended by it, then you're offended by it. It's not that you shouldn't be offended by it. 
It's not that you are wrong for being offended by it. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I've hurt people's feelings, people that I love, because, and I've dismissed it because I've been like, oh, well, obviously you don't understand or you're blowing this out of proportion or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But I don't get to determine the result. I, I, uh, it, the reception is up to the receiver. Right, right. And I think, first of all, in my eyes, you didn't say anything that was unkind. We did have a tough conversation. Sure. And there were things that we talked about that um, initially I didn't agree with. Like you were saying, parts of my worldview Mm -hmm. were a bit shattered or got a bit shattered. And then I kind of picked the pieces up and slightly rearranged them. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't a complete overhaul. Mm-hmm. But it was like, oh, gosh, like I have a different understanding of this part of my psyche now or that part or like preferences. Ooh. Right. Yeah. And um, maybe a more honest look at my preferences. And sometimes I find that, you know, I I tend, at least historically, I tend to shy away from overly from conversations that I feel like are going to be overly emotional. Mm. And one of the thing, one of the reasons for that is because I feel things so intensely. Yeah. Like I don't want, yeah, I don't want to be sent into sensitivity overdrive. Right. Right. But our conversations, I think in part because (laughs) you're good at removing the emotionality from things. Hmm. Um, not in a, not in a heartless way, but in sure. a, um, a very like cerebral way. Mm-hmm. Um, it really helps me navigate around that potential like overreactivity, maybe hyperreactivity, right? That I might normally have, um, in that type of conversation. Yeah. And so for me, no, nothing we talked about was unkind. Well, you just talked about heightening your understanding right? Uh, through that shattering of the pieces. And right. that's what it did to me, by the right. way. That's what Cam- Kevin Samuels, he, he heightened uh, an understanding, which by the way, understanding is, and that's what's great about our dynamic, understanding is never intellectual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we get really caught up, especially someone like me, mm-hmm. where we want to understand something intellectually. But if you understand something intellectually, you don't understand it right. at all. And, and the opposite is also true. If we overreact emotionally, then it, it, that's not an understanding either. That's a knee-jerk reaction. It's protective. It's reactive. Right, right. Reactivity is not understanding. In fact, it impedes understanding. You used the word navigate a moment ago. What does navigate mean? It means to drive through or over something. Yeah. And well, in order to do that, well, what does that mean? It means there's some sort of obstacle mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. right? And and so the navigation means like we've there is an obstacle here, and it could be Kevin Samuel's assholery, or or Kapil Gupta, or or Julian Smith, or the way Mary Carr writes about her parents and and her memoirs. Like it, at first, it's like it's jarring. Yeah, yeah. But from that 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 jarring comes a deeper understanding where it's not intellectual and it's not overly emotional either. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I feel like sometimes. Um, 
in conversations that I've had with other people and a little bit on here is like, I can sometimes come off as an asshole, a li- asshole light mm-hmm. <laughs> when talking about parenting and specifically my journey with parenting Ella. Like, cause I talk about things, I talk about how hard it's been for me. Right. Right. And most people, <laughs> most parents, especially most mothers, uh, gloss over that sort of stuff, mm. right? But well, because we don't see it online. We, we see one of two things. We see the caricature of difficult parenting, mm-hmm. which is like, it, it resonates mm-hmm. because you're like, yeah, of course parenting is hard because you see like the one minute TikTok video of like all the parenting fails throughout the day. Right. But that is a two-dimensional view. Mm-hmm. But, or we see the best of parenting, mm-hmm. right? Design Wash is a perfect example of this. I love her, it's my favorite Instagram account. She has the most beautiful house. I mean, talk about home goals, right? Like, and you see her kids always like playing on a couch or, or whatever, and it looks, I mean, even their cabinets are like soothing to me, the way they organize <laughs> their pasta and flour and their kids' toys are- Is that the account where you sent me the picture of the, of the pantry? Yes. <laughs> yeah, but if you look at their kids' room, by the way, it's just at Design Wash on, on Instagram, and she, I think she's in a Nordic country, and it's very s- sort of Nordic design, and everything's pristine. Their kitchen, their couch, and yet you have the kids like stacking up the couch cushions and playing, but in a way that still looks pristine, and and you're like, oh, it it always looks like a a design within reach catalog photo shoot. Right. But part of that is that's what she's doing. She's a photographer. Yeah. And it shows and there's editing. There's literal photo editing. And and so the question is, can we edit our own life and still keep it authentic? Mm. Yeah, because I mean, I guess that's that is where I was going with it is like having these honest, tough conversations has been the way that I've been able to to gain a deeper understanding and simultaneously feel like I'm being more and more authentic. Mm. Well, the other comments you read to me, they were sort of an exploration throughout the comments. I remember yeah. one that you read said, you know, I was really turned off. I haven't listened to the whole thing. I was really turned off at first because you were talking about rating people and I'm not, I'm not reading this verbatim. So, right, right. Uh, but paraphrasing here, you were talking about rating people on a scale of you know, one to 10 and it was like, well, I wasn't rating anyone on a scale of one. The only person I rated on a scale of one to ten, I think, on that episode was me, by the way. Um, and well, I rated you. Well, there you go, and I, that's fine. I'm, I'm, I'm open to that. I accept that, right? And I also, I also accept that other people were rating me all the time. And I think right. that's what the person who commented basically said. I had to like step back and be like, I recognize that's actually what we do. And even if we don't do it with numbers numbers are a way to quantify something mm-hmm. but we're rating everything we do all the time yeah, we, everything we, we do we taste a, a, a sip of coffee and it's even if i don't say well that's a nine out of ten this is pleasant or unpleasant if it's unpleasant enough i stop drinking it right mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. same with a meal it, it may not be a one to ten sort of quantifiable thing but there's a qualitative rating to everything that we do and it may at first come off as callous but as the person pointed out in their comment i, I it's like i recognize we, we actually do this and this is opening up something in me and honesty to realize like 
okay, maybe my expectations, because really that's what that episode was about. It was about expectations and, and, and calibrating, or I think, you know, for me, removing those expectations has been the way to uncover a, a contentment, mm. a peace that was there all along, but was clouded and muddied and broken by my expectations. I like that. Yeah. Because the, the, the truth that came forward for me out of that discussion was just that, right? That our, our perceptions of our, our desires or our expectations get in the way of us finding the thing that we actually want, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is not, you know, a number on a scale, yeah, and it's not a thing either. Right, it's a the thing we want is never the thing. Right, it's a feeling. Right, and a and a certain connection. Yes. Um, and I think honestly, <laughs> that's what Kevin is trying to convey through even through his assholery. Yes, is like what because he taught he actually talked about this in the no no jumper podcast interview towards the end mm-hmm. was like you're not looking for what you think you're looking for. Mm-hmm. You're looking for someone to be your ride or die mm-hmm. or to, you know, someone that's on your level, someone that you can go back and forth with and, and support and cherish and be a team with. Yes. Right. And yeah, unfortunately it does take a certain amount of wading through the, the emotional battery, you know, that can kind of come with being triggered by him right to get to that point and 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 you know it's the messenger not the uh they're they're frustrated more by the messenger than the message and i get that you know when ryan and i do the minimalist podcast it's often you know we we have two points of views and it's and people resonate with his point of view or resonate with my point of view Mm -hmm. Uh, mine is a bit more stark a bit more direct right um a a bit less empathetic Mm mm-hmm and and I my argument to that would be that it's more compassionate, even though it doesn't seem compassionate, right? And I even think someone like a Kapil Gupta is is a, a a type of it's a type of compassion, right? He may not have the empathy of Anthony DeMello, but he he has a, a a type of compassion that doesn't suffer the excuses and the intellectualizing and and all of these other things. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should move into relationship goals. This we is where should. we answer some questions from patrons. If you do have some questions, you can send your relationship and parenting and sex questions to us on Patreon. You just comment on this episode and Bex will curate her favorites. I know we're really looking for some parenting and some sex questions. So if you have those, leave them. We have a question here for, for me from April. You want to read that? Yeah. Can you discuss how you navigate in-laws? So the term navigate comes up again, right? Yeah. And I, when I saw this question, I thought, well, I know what you mean by it. Mm-hmm. But we also have to be careful with the language that we use. Because navigate generally means that there's an obstacle in the way. Mm. And I don't look at my in-laws as an obstacle mm-hmm. to our relationship. If I did, then I would have to navigate them. Navigate to means either go around something, through something, over something, right? It's a verb. 
And we look at it as a verb, like what is a more appropriate verb? I understand, again, I know what you mean, but what we say often reveals a deeper truth. Mm -hmm. And so when I have to navigate something, that means I see it as a problem. Mm. Yeah. And, and maybe the, the, the question that you're actually asking is, how do I thrive in my relationship with my in-laws? I like that redirect. And, you know, I mean, it's easy for Bex to navigate with my parents because <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> and so is that tip number one? <laughs> find someone with dead parents. I was just going to say, find someone with dead parents. Or Check. eliminate their parents. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, no um, I mean, actually, like, um, in a certain way, I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't feel this way about your father necessarily, but like there is a certain void there yeah, because your mom's not around. Sure. You know, I've, I've mourned the lack of her presence Yeah, or, or maybe a better way of saying it is I've actually felt her presence a mm. lot, but mourned the fact that I. I don't feel like I, I know her, even though I all also feel like I do know her. Yeah. You know, like, um, yeah. You never got to meet her, but I know you two would have gotten along swimmingly. Yeah. And Same with Ella. Like, I wish Ella could have met her. And oh, my God. That would have been the best. I, I she feel was like. She was the best grandma yeah, for. Yeah, I feel like they would have had a fantastic relationship. You know, my brother has, has two daughters. One is 20 and one is three. Mm -hmm. And the 20-year-old, uh, my, my mom was a great, was a phenomenal grandmother, mm -hmm. babysitter, parental figure, mm -hmm. yeah, everything to Tequila, his, his first daughter. And uh, it was, you know, the, it was almost like she had a rebirth with, with that it sounded like it like yeah. you know you've talked about it a bit from time to time and i've seen pictures of of keila and your mom together and right it like, you can just feel the closeness mm -hmm. and how um the grandkids in a certain way were probably her second chance mm. yeah 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 i think so i mean or third chance in a way like yeah. I, I was her second chance uh, you know, she had a whole life before me. She was 36 when she had me. My dad was 42. And so they were, my dad had five kids before me. Right. Right. Um, and then we adopted Jerome when I was little and, and he was a year older than me. But in a weird way, my brother Jerome was uh, kind of a father figure. You know, I never saw my father after I was three years old. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw him once, you know, for Christmas when I was seven. And he died a few years after that. Uh, in fact, it'll be 30 years next month yeah you mentioned that that's time. so wild 30 years yeah i mean how old are we getting a and yet you know i was a little kid when that happened you know, i was nine when he died but i didn't really know him very well anyway mm -hmm. and, and all of my memories were you know, negative memories of of him and he was sick you know it was not out of malice uh, it was out of ignorance and and uh a, a broken brain basically right, you know, right. To, to oversimplify it but he was too smart for his own good. Yeah. And um, yeah, so thankfully you never had to navigate him, although I'm sure he was a wonderful person before 
the, the schizophrenia and, it and sure all that. It sure sounded like it. I yeah. mean, that story you told of him, you know, taking your mom on spur of the moment vacations. Yeah. Like that one little anecdote was like, oh yeah, like mm-hmm. there's Josh and his dad. Mm-hmm. Like that's so something you would do. Totally. Or we have done a permutation of that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so there is no navigating there, obviously. I mean, in fact, the th- thing you have to navigate is the lack. Yeah, uh, I have to you... make peace with, with the lack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, it's fascinating with my relationship with your parents. Now, we're not in the same city, so we don't see each other that frequently. Right. But I don't see many people that frequently. Right. I see about four people <laughs> with any regularity. Yeah, we were talking about that this morning. It's me and you and podcast Sean and Ryan and Jordan and occasionally Jess. Yeah. And that's about it. Uh, you know, the cashier at our local grocery store. Yeah. And um, for the most part, everyone else is just sort of ambient. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't spend a lot of time with a lot of people. And so people can construe that another way as well. Like, oh, he doesn't care about me. I could understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not it's not that. It's just I don't. I, I've realized that uh, over many years of experimentation, I don't do well with, I don't play well with others. Yeah, yeah. The weird thing is I, I do play well with them when I have enough alone time. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think a big part of of your absence is not the right word, um, but I'm just going to go with that for sake of moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh from the broader dynamic in my family, like you've been sick mm-hmm. for most of our relationship to mm-hmm. be, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, there was like a six month period where you felt pretty good. Yeah. I felt awesome. But like other than that, mm-hmm. you haven't felt great our whole relationship. Yeah. And so the things that seem normal, right. To me, mm-hmm. and to my family mm-hmm. coming back for trips or like you know for holidays or whatever yeah haven't always been in in the cards yeah you haven't had the resources to to participate all the time you have participated don't get me wrong right but like um yeah you haven't always had the the physical and emotional resources to do that um because they by nature of traveling and being with a large group of people, my family's large, right? Like I'm the mm-hmm. oldest of four kids. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are still together. Oftentimes when we go home for holidays, like extended family is around. Oh yeah. And I've like they all, right. And they all have significant others. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of, and now there's grandkids. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of people. I remember the first time I went there, I just went off walking in the woods and people were like, what's he doing? <laughs> I was like, I, yeah, I, I I've, recognized so yeah even if i did have that resource we think about resources often we think money when you say we don't have the resources and that could be one reason to not travel all the time right but there are other resources as well and and, health is one of those resources attention time and then also what are your what are your deepest desires what are your proclivities what 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 are your interests and and so even if i had you know, 100% health and, and um, was doing outstanding on that front, it still wouldn't look typical. Right. And, and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't look like some sort of sitcom Christmas party. I, I can't imagine me going to things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and thankfully you wouldn't ask me to because it, 
you know, like, I wouldn't ask you to do anything that would make you miserable either. Right. And and it's not that, oh, well, then are you saying that your fam, my family makes you miserable? Well, no, of course not. No, they're they're lovely humans. Right. Yeah. It's just a lot of lovely humans together in one room. Right. Is too much for you. Yeah, uh, for any extended period of time. Right. I, I love going on tour. Yeah. Because like it's like two or three hours of a bunch of humans. Mm-hmm. And then you get to retreat to yeah. no human. Right. Yeah. And I, I get to I, I get to retreat, and it's also on my own terms. Yeah. You know, the OCD control freak in me mm-hmm. uh, uh, makes, and, and so like that's that's helpful for me. But also, you know, I will say this: that before you and I started dating. Anytime I dated someone for an extended period of time and met their parents, it was, I was always like the, oh, you found the one. Oh, this guy is awesome. And I've never experienced that with your family in general, right? And it's because I'm so different, right? I don't fit into a status quo. Not that the status quo is wrong or bad or evil or it's inappropriate for me. Right. Mm. And and so I don't fit into a particular puzzle. Right. I'm a puzzle piece for the wrong puzzle. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and it's not that that puzzle's wrong. It's just puzzle piece. There you go. Yeah. And I think that's where I'm really going with this is the in-laws. You know, it would be wonderful if, you know, like if there was that same sort of spark of connection. I know I remember uh, Ryan, he he had this gal who he dated for a long period of time. I think the reason they stayed together was that he re- got along really well with her parents, like really well. Like they went out like snowboarding and and water skiing and and, and doing all these activities. And it was like it was like he was dating their parents. That's hilarious. And it was like, well, I'm not dating your parents, right? right. And and as soon as I had that realization, because I'm like, oh, this is different from the past. Where whereas before it was. It was like, oh wow, this uh, there is a a connection here with the parents, mm-hmm. and I don't have a disconnection from your parents. No, you don't. I I I don't have that same connection I've had with with other parents. But mm-hmm. I'm not here to date your parents, right. and unless they're actively sabotaging us, which they're not no, ever. No, never. Um, and now if they were, that'd be a different story. We'd right. have to we'd have to handle that. Right, and that's something to keep in mind in in other scenarios, right? Yes, for other people. Well, and, and not just parents then, right? Right, right, right. Th- then it's like, so so I think the broader question here is um, how do you negotiate, if not navigate, negotiate the other person's relationships? Mm. Part of that has to do with in-laws. And usually that's one of the closest relationships. Usually, not always. But then, you know, you have, you know, Ryan is like my brother. You You negotiate that relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Negotiation is not pejorative. It is just like, well, there in any negotiation, there is give and take, right? And so the friends in my life or the family and friends in your life, there's a, an understanding of what that relationship means. And it's not trying to change the dynamic between mm-hmm. those people because mm-hmm. recognizing that those people enhance your life. And so your parents, I'm incredibly grateful for your parents partially because they birthed you. And so if nothing else, like, <laughs> wow. Bravo. Thank mom and dad. God. Yeah. 
And I'm so grateful for that. But also they raised a phenomenal woman. And it's like, my God, I, I, I can't imagine what it took to raise someone like you. Mm. And now my parents didn't do a, a quote, good job parenting, right? But there were some lessons from that. And also yeah. it goes to show you that a lot of it is sort of nature and then nurture plays its role, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, so they did both, the nature right. and the nurturing. And so, yeah, of course I'm grateful for that. I may, ne- I may never move to Minneapolis and uh, brave the winters there. The winters, yeah. yeah, I may never even travel to Minneapolis in the winter again. <laughs> I don't want to go anywhere where there's snow ever. And that's okay. And I think what we have to realize is like whatever your preference is, that's okay. As long as it doesn't harm someone else directly. Mm-hmm. You know, if your preference is to stab people in public, then find a different preference. Please don't do that. Suppress that preference. Right, yeah. And actually don't understand that preference and then figure out how to... Um, uh, Release it. Uh, well, achieve the same <laughs> thing without, without, <laughs> the, without harming someone else, right? There's like scream therapy or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, primal screaming, whatever you need to do that isn't going to harm other people. And, and so, yeah, as long as... Now, if there's a relationship, though... Mm-hmm where that person is actively harming you, mm-hmm. that's a different conversation. You know, right. Ryan and I had this with that same girl that we, well, woman, um, we were just talking about. She was actively trying to sabotage Ryan's and my relationship. And mm-hmm. he sees it now in the rear view and has talked about it, but actively went out of her way to do some terrible things we'll just say that yeah yeah and, and i think that's where a lot of people or at least a good chunk of people find themselves with respect to in-laws mm. is there there's a certain amount of active sabotage mm. whether whether intentional or not the in-laws oh, sabotaging the, sabotaging the relationship yeah or just like make not intent not intentionally usually but like you know, making unreasonable demands of the spouse or yeah. unreasonable demands on access to, you know, the the re- the, the primary relationship yeah. or or children, you know, grandchildren or things like that. Or, um, yeah, I just had a conversation with someone that was along these these lines where the the in law was was just like floundering, right? And mm-hmm. her floundering turned into unreasonable requests on the time and attention of the spouse. Mm-hmm. Not of, of the, op- like it was the in-law asking the person in the relationship. So not the parent of the person in the relationship, the in-law. So, so uh, give an example. So, so the, for the us, mom, it'd, it'd be your mom asking me to do something, right, or vice versa. My, your mom asking my me. My mom's dead, so it'd be your mom right. asking me. Yes. To to do so, give me an example. Just like uh, lots of. Because right now it's very abstract. I know. I'd like I to know. make this concrete. Yes, yes, yes. So like lots of text messages, lots of requests for phone calls, just like lots of emotional labor being uh, requested of. Okay, so so there's an understanding here. So. Um, this is actually funny. Your mom accidentally FaceTimes me all the time. She doesn't anymore, does Doesn't she? anymore, yeah, no. She, somehow she, she corrected whatever that was. Yeah. But there was a period where it was, I don't know, 
two or three times a month, um, which I don't talk to anyone. I don't talk to my brother two times a month. Uh, I talk to Ryan two times. I talk to Ryan once a week because we do a podcast together. Yeah. And, but um, and then maybe something else comes up. We'll talk one or two other times. But yeah. I don't talk to anyone that much. Yeah. And and I, I want to take this on a tangent because it's kind of funny. So what happened was she had your number stored into mine contact oh i know right but i'm explaining it for other people because there's a secondary part to this that i think is important so she thought she was trying she thought she was facetiming me yes right and so it would ring to you you would generally not answer because you knew she was trying to get a hold of me uh-huh. but like the the downstream effect of that was she thought she was reaching out to me uh-huh. and i would see on my phone like, oh, I missed a FaceTime from my mom. Mm. But I didn't because I had no idea. Yes. And so I think there, we actually haven't talked about this. We probably should talk about this. She and I, I mean. But like there was a certain, you know, two-year time period, period or whatever uh-huh. where she's re- reaching out and yeah. like no one was responding. Sure. And yeah. But she wasn't actually reaching out. Well, she, Yeah. She was trying to FaceTime me. Right, right, right. But like, that's like if I called you, but I called the wrong number, I wasn't actually reaching out to you. Right. But in her mind, no, I get she that. is. And then, yeah. So there was like a disconnect. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, where was I going with this? I was saying something about, oh, understanding. So, so um, I think there's something about understanding the expectation of the other person and understanding how that's not your expectation unless you let it be right Mm -hmm. let's say hypothetically now this wasn't what your mom was doing at all but let's say she really did want to talk to me once a week via facetime Mm -hmm. i would just say no to that right now would that hurt her feelings it's not up to me to determine whether it hurts her feelings Mm -hmm. now i can do so in a way that 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 i'm kind and loving and caring but it's meta inconsiderate for me to placate someone. Right. Because it's, if I'm going to you know, suffer in the process, for lack of a better word, because I would suffer if anyone, if I'd talk to anyone once a week, every week, uh, then it would, it would make me, it's obviously going to change who I am. And that's not what the other person's intentions are either. And so understanding that everyone has expectations of you. Everyone you've ever met has expectations of you. Anyone who knows you, and that's doubly true for someone like me who has millions of followers online. Mm-hmm. I, I, I Say I have 500 Facebook friends, 400 Facebook friends, whatever it is. I couldn't even meet all their expectations. Mm-hmm. And so what is the number? Five people's expectations? Even that is untenable mm-hmm. because Sean, podcast Sean, might have radically different expectations than you. Mm-hmm. And so the only person's expectations that I can actually meet are my own. Well, I guess the, the key then is to have as few expectations as possible right. because otherwise I'm just going to get dragged in everyone else's direction. Yeah, yeah. you end up contorting yourself into a, a pretzel, mm-hmm. right? An unrecognizable pretzel yeah and i've i've certainly done that felt that 
been that mm. in past lives. Give me an example. Oh, I did that with my marriage. It was like literally tried to meet every expectation he had of me. Mm-hmm. And like. It was never enough. Was it was it? never enough. And also you lose yourself. Yes. Like you're just like, wait a second. Like I'm doing this thing. I'm going fishing every weekend. <laughs> like I don't want to go fishing every weekend. Bingo. Yeah. Got a question here from Megan. Any thoughts on healthily expressing emotions to your partner without crossing the line into over emotional territory? I think we have to be careful with this word healthily, right? Because it it implies a good or bad thing. There's a sort of moral element to it though they can be right. And so I understand where the question is coming from with respect to, uh, so if we just remove that word for a second, any thoughts on expressing emotions to your partner without crossing the line into over emotional territory? So we talked, we touched on that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think one thing to keep in mind, considering that this is a question posted from Megan, Mm -hmm. is especially as women, I think we have a responsibility to understand our rhythms with respect to our menstrual cycle and how that relates to our emotional states. Yes. Because, like it or not, our hormones do impact how we feel about things and the emotional valence and intensity of our feelings. Mm-hmm. So like you're unlikely to get hyper reactive to something that isn't already an issue. Yes. Right? Like uh I'm going to go totally hyperbolic on this just to make the point. But like say um all of a sudden I got really upset that you were spending so much time podcasting mm-hmm. with with Ryan and sure. Sean and Jordan. Uh-huh. You need to stop podcasting so much. Right. Like it's unlikely. I've never laughed in your face before. <laughs> you would if I said that. Oh God, yeah, that'd be yeah. great. I, like I said, <sighs> hyperbolic example. Um, it's unlikely that that, that feeling uh-huh. came from nowhere. Right. Right. Like, it's almost completely unlikely. Like I can't think of a single example in my life, uh-huh. my whole life, where I got overly emotional about something that wasn't actually an issue. It might've been a much less intense issue. Yes. In fact, it almost certainly was most of the time. Right. But um, it is usually a pro- you know, something to, to talk about or, you know, something weighing on you what what is the location of the baseline resentment that is turned into this explosion right right and and i think that's the question that i would think about with any of these whenever we're as megan says being overly emotional right that there is a a place from which this emanates yeah yeah and i think what i was where i was trying to go with this is like the times that I find myself most easily falling into over emotionality are the times right before I have my period. Yes. Right. And like pretty much to a T that maps onto, I think our experience where like all of a sudden I'll be really upset about something. Yeah. Relative to your baseline. Yes. Relative to my baseline. It's, it's by the way, you're really upset is like, it's like a little upset yeah yeah it's great by the way like uh it, it, it's really helpful for us 
But I, I think it, it goes beyond. I think the hormones are an amplifier. Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. But I think that as a woman, it's really helpful to understand where you are in your cycle with respect to your emotions. Yes. Because one of the responsibilities of people in dialogue uh-huh. is to look at your own internal world uh-huh. first yes. and then come to the conversation with that uh-huh. understanding. And so if you're feeling like you need to express emotions, try to determine where these emotions truly lie. Mm-hmm. Like how intense are these emotions on a nor- like a baseline level, right? I, I think... I think what you might find, though, mm. is they're actually more intense at a baseline level. So here's the weird thing about the amplification. So the here's an example. We're, we're in a room right now, a beautiful white room. It, we might be actually recording this in an insane asylum. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, and and uh, this room has windows with these blackout curtains that mm-hmm. we're looking at right here, right? And... On the side of those curtains, though, there is light beaming in through the side, just through this sliver, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's the whatever we're calling this, the menstrual cycle or you know, PMS or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. Is that's this l- this little crack mm-hmm. that the emotions spill through, right? The light is spilling through. Let me extend this metaphor for you, okay? But the baseline of that, though, is when I said question the source where where is this emanating from it's not emanating from that crack it looks like it at first like if we didn't know that there was outside we had never been outside before and we just saw this crack oh the light comes from the crack and the same is true with this we might say well the light or the the over uh, oversharing of emotion or the overly emotional response comes from the hormones well, no, the hormones are letting the light in. Mm, yeah. And and really, there's a, an entire boiling sun out there. Yeah, that's fair. It's like giving you, per- it's like tapping you to give you permission to like, hey, you do need to address this. Right. And yeah, so, yeah. so the that's, resentment yeah. or the discontent or the anger or the everything that's left unsaid. Mm-hmm. What does Tony Robbins say? Kid, kill Godzilla when... He's a baby. Don't wait till he's taking over the city. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I do a good job of slaying baby Godzillas. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. It's maybe, yeah, maybe the, the hormone thing is like it it amplifies it so you finally pay attention to it, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And that's certainly accurate in, in my life. It's like the things that I get real emotional about it's like, oh, you do need to pay attention to this. You don't get to m- gloss over it. Yes. You don't get to pretend it's not an issue. Right. right. And it may seem amplified now, but it doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? And so yeah. if I, it, if there's a person yelling on the street corner, mm-hmm. he exists and he's yelling. If I give him a microphone and an amplifier, it's not he exists any differently. It's just more... You're able to notice it more now, yeah. And yeah. people around him are going to notice it more now. Yeah. Now, this uh, doesn't gender as heavily as you would think. It does with the 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 PMS thing or whatever. Right. But men, I would even say, do a greater 
like that not good as in, in but like a a more robust job of repressing these emotions because Re- they don't have the amplifier right. repress and then explode repress and explode yes, right like yeah. yeah in anger yes yes and i've experienced that side of things shut up no you haven't <laughs> <laughs> a joke everyone um i've i don't think i've ever yelled at you have i no i don't think so yeah i can't imagine no. that i ever would i mean I, i'll do it jokingly but yeah. yeah um no but like that's a good that's a good point i guess i was i was coming at it from the female perspective because i am a female obviously but like knowing where you are with respect to hormones yes helps give me a, a a window into like why something might feel so overwhelming at mm-hmm. a certain point right yeah and and that helps me untangle it a bit right and be like okay to 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 cerebrate through it uh-huh. a bit not to suppress it not to deny it but to be like why in the world does this all of a sudden feel like it's the end of the world. You're observing. Right? So like a few weeks ago, I was flying through, you know, flying back to Montana. And I, the first leg of the trip to Seattle was fine. And in Seattle, for whatever reason, all of a sudden I was just like overwhelmed with like, I just wanted to scream, right? Yeah. I, and um, I did not do a great job of analyzing that in part because I was in an airport. Yes. Right. And like this internal analysis stuff, this, this recognition of the, the emotional life on the inside is something relatively new for me. Right. This is, this is an infant skill. Okay. I'm so much better at it than I used to be. Yeah. But like I still... I'm very much like a I don't have feelings sort of person a lot of times, which is, right. which is obviously incorrect. What's the type of repression? Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm learning to not repress. Right. And so when when I think what Anthony DeMello would say, and, and in fact, next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, love and the expansiveness of love. But it's also not something you do. And I think the same thing would be true here. I know you're saying analyze, but it sounds to me like what you're actually doing is you're talking about seeing or observing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because what happens is when we step back and observe what's going on, it's no longer I'm anxious. It's it's anxiousness is appearing. Anxiety is appearing. And I'm observing that anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'm also observing what led to that anxiety. Right, and that's where I was going with it. Mm -hmm. was like, you know, the next day, once removed from the really intense anxiety, mm-hmm. was like, oh, like I got my period today. Mm-hmm. And like I came back to Montana, it was freezing cold. And like there were these series of things that like were little mini triggers. And they all happened to stack up on top of each other. Yes. And led to a shitty evening. And thus the key is not to do something differently. Right. It's almost always to stop doing, mm-hmm. to drop it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like if my eye hurts because I keep poking myself in the eye, the key isn't to like poke myself differently right? or with a softer utensil. Mm-hmm. No, it's to stop the poking of the eye. Yeah. 
And the same is true in almost any other scenario. It's about what we don't do that actually, quote unquote, solves the problem because the problem is always created through action. Mm-hmm. It, and, and therefore, it's counterintuitive, but it's the inaction. Mm-hmm. But it's almost an act of inaction, meaning the observing through, through the observing of, of reality. And that whatever I did to, that made me anxious or made me angry, made me fearful, that made me feel grief, whatever those things were, it's not about doing something different. How do I stop being anxious? No. How do I stop being afraid? No. We don't. That's what we do. We don't. <laughs> Let's move on to uh, parental discretion. We've got some uh, parenting questions. You can send yours on Patreon. Just comment on this episode. We have a question from Amelia. Oh, what is Amelie. this? Amelie. Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile being an introvert and the constant need of connection from a child? How do you find space for yourself? Well, that is definitely a question for you. It is. You are an introvert. And um, I think it's a question for mothers, really, because there is a, a maternal connection with children that isn't the same as any other connection. And I think there's obvious biological reasons for that. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I don't know about recon- reconciling it, but you tell me what you think. I mean, I think that you have to grow into it. Okay. And I, I hate saying that, and I hated and hate living it sometimes, but, like, we have to, I had to, Mm. and continually have to, right? Like, it's a process that never ends, is, like, let let go of the the dissonance that's created between an introverted nature and the needs of a of a child of a little especially infants like you can't resolve it mm. like y- said- you have opposing needs is maybe the the way of saying this is like as an introverted mom yes especially as a sensitive introverted mom Mm. in a lot of ways our needs are in opposition to our our infants and our young children and for me what has been helpful i what i don't think i was a terribly good mother when i was when Ella was an infant. Mm. I tried really hard. I, I tried loving her. I tried to do everything I could to to soothe her, to be there for her, to give her what she needed. But I don't think I was very, very effective at it. Okay. Right? And part of that was I didn't understand what a mismatched situation I was in. Right? Yes. And... And so I clung tighter and tighter and tighter to, yeah, to trying to control every little minutia. And I think that 
that's kind of at least uh, I know Amelie, Amelie's not American, but it's kind of the way that we tend to do things as a society is yeah. if something's not going well, what can what lever can you pull to create more control, more tension? Mm-hmm. How can I fix this? Yeah, how can I fix this? And the the opposite is what needed to happen is I needed to get looser and softer and more fluid. Stop parenting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but even with myself, right? It wasn't even like I was trying to uh, parent Ella into compliance. You know, I, I mean, I was, yeah. but like, you know, when she was six months old, it was, it was what can I do to survive this and mm-hmm. for her to survive this. Okay. Um, and I think it would have been better if instead of continually grasping for the next thing, if I just realized that like, less input and effort and more just like accepting of the situation would have been helpful. It's, like, not, it's not in our nature to parent. And that sounds weird. I was having a, a conversation with, with Christopher Kelly about this. And he sort of has a paleolithic hunter-gatherer parenting style. And uh, he runs a, a company that does ancestral health, helps people with their, with their health. And what he's recognized, a few things. One is introverts did not exist in hunter-gatherer societies. It was not a thing. Introverts have been created by society. Overwhelming societies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because hunter-gatherers weren't actually in a society. They had a, a group culture of, you know, a small group of 10 to 100 or so people, but they did not have a they did not have a society that was inflicting the need for alone time. Right. And and, and the reason that we are introverts is you and I have been acculturated to be introverts. Human beings don't have a default introversion or extroversion setting. Societal human beings do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once we understand that, you realize like, oh, we're actually abnormal. There isn't an introvert and therefore, because there is an introvert, there also aren't extroverts. Mm-hmm. It's one tethers you to the other. And, and, and we love to do this. It's exclusionary. It's I want to be part of this tribe. And, and in order to do that, I have to exclude from this tribe. And the truth is we're all on some sort of spectrum. We have preferences. And I'm sure people even within a hunter-gatherer group are more socially dynamic than others. And we confuse that as well. Right. I'm socially competent. A- and yet I don't ever want to be in a social setting. Uh, and, and so like it doesn't mean that, that I'm extroverted because I'm, I'm competent. But... I think what you're saying here is um, the understanding of I can't control this child. Mm-hmm. This is a separate human being. Mm-hmm. Chris said my parenting style is not to parent. Yeah, And he realized that hunter-gatherers don't have a parenting style. There was no such thing mm-hmm. because there was no tr- trying to control. Now, there are boundaries, and that's different from control. Mm-hmm. 
children don't have the developed brain, so they don't know not to do things like play in traffic or touch the hot stove, although even those are societal conventions. So really what's happening is we have to set up more boundaries because of the obstacles we as a society have set up, and it's fine. And what you're saying, though, is through this control, we're setting up arbitrary boundaries. Mm -hmm. It's like imagine if you go to our apartment, and it's a two-bedroom apartment, right? Imagine I started putting walls up everywhere. Like, it's, I don't know how big it is, 900 square feet or something. It's tiny. And so imagine I put a wall in the middle of our living room and then a wall in the side of our bedroom and a random wall in our closet. You'd be like, why are you putting up all these boundaries? Like, well, I'm trying to control the flow of things. Oh, that's crazy. <laughs> well, that's what we're doing as parents. Now, I also believe that most of us shouldn't have kids. Yeah. Yeah. There's a question later on that okay. gets to this. Beautiful. Yeah. Well, is that Rebecca's question? It is. Let's read that. Yeah. Could you explore the selfishness of wanting children versus not wanting them? My husband and I have opposing opinions. What's fascinating about this question, Bex, is the opposing opinion. I don't know whether the way that it's phrased, if, is it an opposing opinion? One of us wants to have kids and one of us doesn't want to have kids. That could be interpreted one way, mm -hmm. right? And if that's the case, we can address that. Uh, the, the other one is we have different opinions that it's selfish to want children or it's not selfish to that's want children. That's the opinion that they differ on. One of them thinks it's selfish to want kids. The other thinks it's selfish to not want kids. Okay. Yeah. And, and let's just say what's wrong with that? Let's, say, let's assume it's selfish to want kids. Uh -huh. Okay. So what? Yeah. Now, I don't think it's selfish. Let me explain selfish, selfish versus self-centeredness or what I would just say self-interest. Selfish, well, self-interested means I'm willing to do something for myself so that I'm the best version of me, therefore I appear as the best version of myself for me and others. That's wonderful. That's ideal. Mm -hmm. Self-interested. We're all self-interested. I'm sure there's a few transcendent mystics who have who are not self-interested, but even they will admit to times of self-interest. Selfish, on the other hand, is being self-interested at the detriment of others. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, if we use that definition, then is having a child selfish? Maybe, let me talk. So if you're going to be a controlling parent. It's going to be detrimental to your kid. Yeah. That is selfish. Yep. However, if you're going to be a nurturing, loving person who doesn't parent their child, it's not selfish at all. I just don't know how many people should actually have kids. Yeah. When I'm at my most introspective, I'm like, shit, I shouldn't have had kids, right? Mm. Like I wasn't ready. At 31 years old, I was not ready to have kids. Yeah. Even though objectively speaking, like, you know, I'm in the high 20% of functioning adults, mm. right? Yeah. And I probably should not have had a kid. Yeah, I think there are a few Mozarts of living right. who uh, make phenomenal parents. I, I can think of a few. Um, my mom was a phenomenal parent, is a phenomenal parent. Like, 
without a doubt. My dad is too, but like they have different roles, right? And I think um, one of the things that I've kept coming back to and one of the reasons why I enjoyed the conversation we had uh, that Kevin Samuels triggered was like, I think I was a bad mom because I wasn't allowing myself to be a, a good mom. Like I wasn't allowing myself to focus on being a mom. I would say that I, I, I would say you were, let me rephrase what you're saying there to maybe crystallize it. You were a bad mom because you thought there was such a thing as a good mom. Let yeah, me, yeah. I, I can expand on it. Let, let me actually expand on what I was going to say because, okay. yeah. Um, I did not allow myself to, to focus on being a mother. I was distracted in a million different directions and thought I can be a mom and I can also be a career woman and I can also cook all the meals and do all the laundry and clean the house. And that delusion had been firmly implanted in my brain, I believe, by society. Yes. And I mean, I literally read the book Lean In when I was pregnant. Wow. Right? So it's like, or shortly thereafter, all those years are very blurry. (laughs) But like within that year of like being pregnant and becoming a mom, you know, I might have read it during maternity leave. But anyhow, point being is like, that is the ethos in which I decided to bring, or that that's the feeling in which I decided to bring another person into the world. Mm -hmm. And that, in my opinion, is not conducive to, to having healthy kids, to having well adjusted, happy kids. Having to do those things is ultimately the, the problem because one can do those things and if they don't have to, if they hold them loosely, then they realize like, oh, I, this is not working anymore. I can walk away from this. Now you've done, to your credit, you've done quite a bit of that over the last eight years since Ella was born, right? Yeah. Ella will be eight very soon. And and so in really a nine-year period then, because there's a gestation period, I hear, when you get pregnant. <laughs> Rumor has it. Still don't know how that works. But um, anyway, uh, you you go through that gestation period and through birth and then all of a sudden you have this child in front of you and the thing that our culture has told us is that here's how you become a good mom and it's conflicting advice but it doesn't matter the only reason that a mother is a bad mother i'm saying that with vocal quotes is because she thinks there's a such thing as being a good mother And what does that, really that means is there are these expectations. And it's a checklist. It could be three things. It could be 17 things. It could be 419 things I need to do to be a good mother. It's someone else's expectations thrust upon you. And all of a sudden, then that word navigating really comes back. Because if you have 100 expectations thrust upon you, 
or 100 new walls built into our small apartment. Can you navigate them? Yes. But why do we put the walls there in the first place? Oh, it would make a good apartment. Mm. Well, no, now it's a bad apartment because I thought it'd be good by putting up all of these things. That's not what living in a living space is about. And that's certainly not what quote unquote parenting is about Mm -hmm. either. Parenting is not control. Parenting has to do with love and understanding and nurturing, Mm -hmm. but it's it's not a controlling endeavor. And anytime we attempt to control someone, that's the opposite of love. You can't love a child if you're controlling them because you're, you're stripping them of their freedom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Shall we move on to some sex, some dirty talk? <laughs> yes. We've got some questions here. One is from Tessa. This one's for you, Bex. All right. I wanted to comment on Rebecca's perspective as a straight woman thinking about what it would be like to date a woman. I'm very bisexual and I'm also very much a sub when in heterosexual relationship. We talk about what that is a sub is a person who is submissive. Yes. Yeah. So in in a heterosexual relationship, she's submissive. Yes. Uh, but she believes that she would be more of a switch or maybe even dominant with a woman. Mm-hmm. Again, depending on their dynamic. So uh, she's always found that interesting. And I find that interesting as well uh-huh. because in a previous episode... I don't remember which episode it was. Do you, by any chance? Which? When we talked about whether or not I'd be dominant or submissive with a woman. No, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it depends on what you want to get out of the interaction. We were just talking about on the way up. We were on the elevator in here. There's a new show on HBO we haven't seen yet. It's called um, There's No I in Threesome. <laughs> and... um you know, what's what's interesting about this comment, and then she gets into a, a separate question here in a moment, which is it totally out of left field, which, great. Um, but the, the question here, um, you're a straight woman, and Tessa is very bisexual. Uh, I guess it just means like 50-50, right? Yeah. Um, it's funny, I was talking to Chris Kelly about this, and there, there are some, there are some pretty... Um, I guess you would call them controversial anthropological theories that all women are bisexual to some extent. Mm. I think this maps out onto real life. You know, there are far more bisexual women than there are men. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Chris argues is that we're all bisexual to some extent, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's 1% or 50% or, or, or very bisexual. Maybe she's 100% bisexual here, right? Mm-hmm. And so... What does that, what does that mean? What does it look like? What, what are the sort of implications for it? With you, I don't know. Yeah, because you are dominant outside of the bedroom. Yeah, we talked about this recently. Like, I'm kind of an alpha female. Yeah. Right? Like, I have a lot of masculine traits and energy. But, like, with you, because you're sort of hyper-masculine in a lot of ways... I I get to turn on my feminine side. It conjures up images of where I think of like politicians or 
power men of power, particularly like cis straight white males who are in their forties and fifties who love their position of power. They control they're very controlling of everyone. And then they hire sex workers to like step on their balls with high heels or or, you know, run a cheese grater on their ass or something. Right, right. And and all of a sudden it it's like, well, why why is that? It's because they don't have any outlet. That they're in that position where they need to be dominant. They're the dom at work, at home, in business, in parenting, in uh, meetings, in social activities. And it's like, uh, what it shows is like, well, no, we all have some need to be, it's yin and yang. Right, right. We all have a little bit of either in us. Yes. And what I love about our dynamic Mm -hmm. is that it allows me to lean into my femininity. Yeah. And to to feel that more, to embody it more. Mm. And as a consequence, I felt much more balanced as a human in our relationship because I've been allowed, permitted, or I felt, I should say, Mm -hmm. I felt allowed and permitted and encouraged even in my femininity. And that's been really. You're very feminine. That's been very fun. Especially when you're naked. So yes, Tessa, thank you for sharing. Well, then she goes on to say, anyway, do y'all have any advice on anal sex? Yeah, it's (laughs) It's a hard right. (laughs) Yeah, it's something I've done successfully a few times, but (laughs) I'm always terrified, terrified in all caps, of getting messy. Now, I'm wondering what successful anal looks like as opposed to unsuccessful anal. Perhaps unsuccessful anal looks like another question that we got that I didn't write down because it was tangential to this, but it was essentially uh, this person and their partner tried anal and um, it got messy and someone threw up. Oh. Cause it was messy and <laughs> stinky and yeah. So I'm gonna say that that might be qualified as unsuccessful. Throwing <laughs> up is definitely not a goal. So more than one person has asked about how to have Perhaps we can rephrase as enjoyable anal sex yeah. or uh, not messy anal sex. Yeah, I don't know if there's a biological imperative to have anal sex. There's not. And, and so, like, it really is a preference thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, like, it's not something that I really... Pre- it's weird, though, because I'm we, really into ass. We joke about it a lot, but we don't do anal very often we have yeah yeah but we don't do it very often i can think of one time where you really really enjoyed it but other than that i get turned on by you being turned on yeah and so like i and i know the same is true with you and so like you're open to doing that Mm -hmm. but it's not something that like really gets you off except for randomly that one time don't know why exactly me neither um and we haven't been able to replicate it since no no we do like a little ass play though, oh, right? Yes. Like there's lots of, yeah, rimming and um, ass eating. Yes, ass eating and small, the little plugs. Oh yeah, yeah, the little, little um, butt plugs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So there are ways of playing around with ass stuff, mm-hmm. ass play. Yes. Without actually doing anal. Right. So my first recommend. Well, think about that. 
right? If you're like, oh, how do I do anal? It's like, yeah. well, maybe you don't actually want to do anal. Uh-huh. Maybe you just want to like play around down there a little bit. Yeah, I don't and, know why I'm so attracted to ass, but like, you lo- like assholes. Yes, you think are mm-hmm. very erotic. Women's assholes in particular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, fine. If I, I wish I was attracted to men's assholes, I'd be twice as many assholes <laughs> I was twice attracted. Twice the pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. I just happen to not be wired that way. Um, but if so, that that uh, I think would be wonderful. Um, but like, it's not it's not my thing. But yeah, for whatever reason, it's uh, I'm not no, I'm not into anything scatological. Right. Again, if I was, that's borderline. Like, I, but still, for me, it's like. Uh, I don't want to shame anyone. Yeah, There's no, no no kink shaming. Right, but at some point, like uh, that, that could be a a um, that, that's a rather dangerous kink. A health issue. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, when we do actually want to have anal sex, actual anal sex, mm-hmm. a certain amount of planning is involved. Yeah. So, uh, we Get have the butt douche thing. Yeah, we have a we have a douche mm-hmm. that has like a long arm thing on it Mm -hmm. and you fill it up with water yes and you basically give yourself a water enema yeah who's ever going to be receiving uh gets a water enema if you're interested we we get all of our sex toys from lovehoney.com but uh that is also from lovehoney.com not an ad yeah um definitely not but yeah they do non-toxic uh toys there that's important yeah and using distilled water instead of tap water etc right right so yeah you just want to do that you know a couple hours ahead of time yes um and cleans out the uh it will take care of the messiness yes yeah we got a question here from Devin. how did each of you get comfortable with your sexuality and desires i personally struggle with what makes me feel sexy especially since i've been a parent yeah, you know what's weird about this? This is a question for me, I guess. Um, I I don't think I've ever particularly felt sexy. Mm. And I don't know if that's a male thing or if it's just a me thing. But I am comfortable, very comfortable with my sexuality and desires. I, part of that comes from my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thankful for. My mom was very open about sex not in a gratuitous well sometimes it's probably borderline gratuitous yes, yes. it never seemed gratuitous actually no it wasn't gratuitous because it, it never was traumatizing or anything like okay. that and, and it, I r- write about this in, in uh, my next book Love People Use Things like she had sex with Mr. T and and uh, with Jim Brown and would make jokes about it um, allegedly I mean I, I don't have photographic evidence of either event but um yeah, and she was just really open about sexuality. She had men over um, when I was young, and like I didn't know specifically what they're doing, but I connected the dots. Mm-hmm. And and so like what I realized was like, oh, you can have relationships with the opposite sex, and it doesn't have to be. It can be loving, but it doesn't require attachment. We confuse attachment with love. Mm-hmm. Attachment is the opposite of love. Mm-hmm. There aren't healthy attachments. Stop with all. There's no such thing as a healthy attachment. Healthily attached to my partner. No, 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 no. That per, any attachment I have to Bex is is an impediment on my ability to love her. I know that's a really difficult thing to gra- to to grapple with. Yeah, and we both like we both str- we both grapple with it all the time. Yes, right. It's not like you have reached this. 
you know, arrival point where you're not attached. No. Um, we just talk about it because we've felt the truth in it. It's the arrival at which I'm 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 walking. Yeah, yeah. And or to which I'm walking, and 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 so because what I've recognized is that the the attachment is any attachment I have to anyone else is preventing me from experiencing love and freedom happiness what these are all the same word actually it's all the same thing mm-hmm. we just we put language around it yeah and then we partition it and use these different sort of words so how did you get comfortable with your sexuality and desires i i think it's it started from a young age not not until i got older and uh culture began repressing those desires mm-hmm. and so i think the discomfort always comes from the cultural expectations mm-hmm. now the outside yes mm-hmm. uh, the religious the external yeah yep. yeah so religion is external and and many religions will have something to say about sex uh the your your peer group and friends mm-hmm. in fact why are we so we struggle to even talk about sex i remember when you and i first started this podcast it was like uh being able to talk about these things openly is just like, because we feel like it's oversharing and I get how it can be oversharing, right? Mm-hmm. Locker room talk or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. But if it's serving the greater good, it's not oversharing. Unfortunately, we don't learn anything about actual, we learn about intercourse. Right. We don't learn about sex. Mm-hmm. We don't learn about attraction and lust and desire. But if we don't understand those things, then everything goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think there's a there isn't a prescription, right? Like I became more comfortable with my sexuality and my desires via experience. Yes. And via exposure. Mm-hmm. And there might be a way to do that without those things, but I don't understand how that could possibly work considering we all grow up in a society that does try on some level to repress our true feelings and impulses. Right. Right. I mean, even think about the, the, the things that are taboo to even us, even still where it's like, so, so what are the, what judgments do I have about other people's sex acts? Right. And that's why I try to use these conversations for me and you to to always be like, well, yeah, don't want to kink shame anyone. It doesn't make sense to to do that because, and even the word kink is. I think in a lot of ways it implies a certain amount of abnormality. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. And and because it's abnormal in our society, does that mean it means it's wrong? Right. 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 No, if you like no. to get your toes licked, like to get your toes licked. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. It's not, it, it may be abnormal, but so is everything, right? <laughs> I put lemon in my guacamole. That's abnormal. It is very abnormal, but it's also delicious. Exactly. Yes. Just like your feet. Just like, yes. It's going to say <laughs> your asshole, but <laughs> <laughs> feet is more accessible. I do want to follow up, though, with this about the feeling sexy thing, because mm. you gave her, you gave her your answer. Um, I feel most sexy when I engage with 
sexiness, right? Like when I actively bring sex into my life, into our life, Mm. right? And I think that one of the ways to kill that focus is by being a parent and being around little children. Yes. Like we find that our dynamic, our sexual dynamic is different when Ella's around. Right. Um, and I, I think that's pretty natural, to be honest. Without a doubt. Uh, There's a lot of research on this. Yeah, so. yeah. And so, first of all, it's not abnormal <laughs> to feel less sexy when you're a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we were talking about with, you know, going to the gym, right? You, you don't go to the gym when you're feeling strong. You go to the gym when you're like, I want to feel stronger. Mm-hmm. Or like, I want to be more fit. Right. You have sex or you work on feeling sexy uh-huh. when you want to have more sex. Yeah. When you want to be sexier, when you want to infuse your life with more sexual energy. Yeah, I was having this conversation with Jamie Wheel and he was he was talking about how how you know, the gym thing where it's like, or the eating healthy. Mm-hmm. It's not like, well, I look really great in the mirror today. I think I'll eat healthy. Yeah. We don't wait until we get the result. And so sex is the same thing where it's like, you, it's not about waiting until I'm feeling lusty right. in order to have sex. That's great. And, and, and it's like if you feel, oh, I'm really feeling like I need to lift some weights today. Okay, great. Go to the gym. Do it, yeah. But also in those days where it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. It sounds counterintuitive. It's like forcing yourself to have sex. Well, no, no, no. It's not forcing sex. It is inviting intimacy. There, yeah. And inviting that intimacy in, even in times where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, we just put the we just put her to bed and she was screaming and it was difficult and intimacy isn't isn't just you know penis and vagina sex mm-hmm. that's that's often the terminus but it doesn't even have to be right it can be the terminus. yeah it can be making out right we've had a lot of intimacy this week we have not had that much sex that's true and uh i feel just as satisfied uh-huh. sexually satisfied yeah as i do during the weeks we've had a lot of sex. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that we had on a previous podcast that didn't get asked or answered because we ran out of time was like, is more sex better, essentially? Mm -hmm. And no, I don't think so. I think the appropriate amount of sex is what you want to aim for. And And the appropriate amount is totally dependent on your situation. Yeah, there's all these factors. Hormones are a factor. I remember I was doing a lot of testosterone uh, cream and um, sort of resetting my hormones during my illness. And I was I was horny like two or three times a day, which is not my normal. And me, I'm like a sex every other day is a max sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And it's really great when it happens, right? But it's like I I remember when I was a really fat kid growing up like legitimately, you know, fattest kid in school sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. I could eat three ice creams a day. <laughs> but now if I had an ice cream, it would be like the biggest treat in the world, right? And so like uh, I think sex can be the same thing. It's like, well, what is appropriate given my circumstances? Mm-hmm. And right now no ice cream is what's appropriate for me. Uh, but no sex is not appropriate for me. Mm-hmm. Although there are times, there are always times, where no sex is appropriate. There's this, yeah, when you think about 
a turn signal, if you want to test the turn signal on your car, right? Like, so say we, after this, we go out to, to my car and I'm like, hey, Dax, let's just go make sure the left turn signal is working. And you get back there. This is an old parable, but like, you, you'll get the point. You get back there and uh, I'm like, all right, tell me when it's working. And you, actually, other way around, you're up there and you're like, tell me when it's working, Josh. And you, you flip the turn signal. And mm-hmm. I'm like, it's working. Now it's not. It's working. Now it's not. It's working. Now it's not. You get out of the car eventually, you're like, what do you mean? Now it's not. It's either working or it's not working. Well, that's how you know a turn signal's working. When it's not working. Yeah. If you and I had sex 24 hours a day, it would be a certain kind of misery. In fact, I dated a girl like this once. And her sex drive was so much higher than mine. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe nymphomaniac is the appropriate label. Mm-hmm. And I think for someone like Ryan, that would have been a match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. Because he has a crazy high sex drive as well. And so like the, the pairing right. is also important. And the hormonal pairing mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is really important. For me, it became a chore. Mm-hmm. Because it was like, hey, let's have sex 15 times today. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't, what are we doing? <laughs> and, uh, and so like, it, it's the, the sort of matching. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's a pre-screening there in a way. Yeah. And also when I did, uh, when I was doing testosterone, you did a reset on your testosterone as well. And that yeah. changed your sex drive yeah. immensely. Yeah. We, we were well paired through the the up and the reset. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It will never be an even match. No. But it's about, you know, it's about the yin and the yang, the, the being being close to each other. Um, we, you know what, uh, we, we have a segment called Shame Face, and we usually do it as a part of parental discretion, but we both had, I think this episode and next, we had or non-parenting shame face stories. I want to swap this one with next week's because it pairs so perfectly with Tessa's question. So can you talk about this, the time where you accidentally peed on me? Thanks for stealing my thunder. Good grief. <laughs> yeah. So my shame face, the sex shame face, definitely got messy. Um, it was actually when we first started dating. Yeah, it was so, within the first year. A first couple months. Really? Yeah, you were at that River Street place still? Yeah. It was in the River Street bathroom. Uh-huh. So we were having sex all over the apartment. Yes. And we ended up in the bathroom for some fun reason. Yes. Uh, and you were on the toilet and I was on top of you. Yes. And... Um, I'm getting a little hard just thinking about this. Yeah, it was great. It was really great. And apparently I had to pee. (laughs) And as I was climaxing, I also peed. But it wasn't like a... There's some rumors or... I don't know much about the the idea of squirting, Uh right? But it wasn't that. Yeah. Or at least I don't identify it as that. It It wasn't. It was an inadvertent release of of pee like i urine yeah i urinated all over josh (laughs) and i was so mortified like i wanted to run out of the apartment and never see you again 
It's funny. Like, it, that was my first impulse. was like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm going to leave. Now, bye. Right. You know, like, so there was shame that you experienced. So much shame. Yeah. And you, thank I shamed you for days afterward. <laughs> How dare you? I'm disgusted. I threw up a little bit. There was no throwing up. No, you were so kind. And, like, you, if you were grossed out at all by it. I was not. Uh, you didn't show it. Uh-huh. Um, and you were super gentle. And I feel like we showered right after that yeah. together yeah yeah like we showered and it was no big deal yeah um i mean i continued to sort of make it a big deal in my head like i had to work through the shame numerous times yeah and you were courteous enough to like hold space for that and assure me that no it's okay you weren't repulsed and well i've always been ggg in our relationship at least i can't say i was always ggg yeah uh, good giving and game. It's a Dan, Dan Savage. Savage. Yeah. yeah. And and so, I mean, here's the thing. Like, if you were into that, like, sexually, mm-hmm. that's not something I'm into. Mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't shame you for it. And I think that would be a line I'd be willing to go up to. Like, I've certainly done that to women before who have asked. Yeah. And I've obliged. It's never been my thing. It's never turned me on. Yeah. But... I've had at least one woman ask, like, hey, if I sit in the bathtub, will you pee on me? Okay. Like, if, if you're into that. Yeah. Because I'm turned on by you being turned on. Right. Now, right. we all have have thresholds, right? Like, some women, women might, I, actually, I, I know of several women who are like, they want to be hit. Eesh. And I'm like, no, that's not that's not a line that not I'll. My thing. It's, yeah, I'm not willing. I'm good giving in game within reason. Yeah. And and so like it's not not my thing, right? I know one gal who was really into uh, dental work. Used to have like multiple orgasms from having like her teeth drilled. Um, uh. Yeah, yeah. And so, I, and I don't, I'm not shaming that at all either. Mm. Um, and so like just that understanding. Yeah, there's a lack of understanding on some of those things with me. Y- right. You and might, also an, a lack of willingness, like. There's no way that even if you wanted me to, I would hit you if you thought it was hot. It's like, I'm no. Yeah. I'm not going to hit you. Right. We'll play. We'll mock, mock fight sometimes. That's and cute. you'll humor me with yeah. my wanting to mock wrestle. fight. Wrestle. Yes. Yeah. Wrestling. And so, so the, the peeing thing is like, it was, no, it didn't turn me on, but it also didn't turn me off because like, you could have done anything. You could have like, I don't know, pooped on me. And I wouldn't have been like, oh my God, like we need to break up or something. Now, if that was your thing and you wanted to poop on me, then <laughs> I wouldn't do that. That's right. not within reason for right. me. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, when, I, when I look at that scenario, it was in a way that the shame led to a greater sort of bond between us it did mm-hmm. and so sometimes those things that we think we're supposed to be ashamed of oh that's someone else's expectation mm-hmm. the same thing is true with with um you know, the gal who asked me to pee on her like hers was like i'm really turned on by this right someone else is like oh my god i am so turned off by this mm-hmm. both are just preferences mm-hmm. and and for me, it's like I'm neither. I'm ambivalent to it, right? 
Uh, I don't like making messes, so I'm glad it happened in the bathroom right. and not <laughs> in the bed. Yeah. But even even place. even then, if it happened in the bed, I'd be like, okay, let's well now we'll clean up the sheets. This is fine. Yeah. Let's let's, uh, let's not overreact. And I think a lot of this, a lot of shame, mm-hmm. is an overreaction mm-hmm. to uh, to what someone else tells us we should do yeah. with our lives. Yeah. So we've got Tinder profile of the month. It's your turn, but then I had a, a funny one. I wanted to, actually I got a few funny ones I want to read from the internet, but I'll I'll pick one or two and we'll uh, we'll go through those. What's your Tinder pro? If you were to start a Tinder page today, yeah. what would it say, Bex? By the way, leave yours in the comments below on Patreon. I'd love to hear what your Tinder profile of the month would be. So mine is geared towards Josh. Uh huh. And it's a specific time frame tinder profile you're looking for me on tinder this would have been my this would have been an excellent pro tinder profile uh around the time that we met and started dating yeah except we met at a grocery store right 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 but like could have been tinder had we met on tinder wop so good you'll forgive the bush (laughs) and the toddler (laughs) true i'll forgive the bush um big preference there um (laughs) Yeah, I remember the first time that we uh, we hooked up. It was on my birthday, uh, our first date, and I went down on you, and it was a jungle, the <laughs> forest. It, I, the rumor is that all women in Montana have that, though. So it's uh, I think it was par for the course. Yeah, I've never yeah. been with anyone else from Montana intentionally. Like I avoided dating anyone locally when I lived in Montana for those years. Yeah, it uh, it's it was not my norm. Ah. prior like yeah it wasn't my norm i didn't plan on hooking up that night that night uh, like i didn't i didn't plan, I d- on, hooking I didn't up, I didn't plan on not hooking i up. know i know i did i just didn't at that time in my life like i was kind of frazzled yeah right and i didn't have the the timing right or whatever to go get waxed Uh and so i did shave a bit and trimmed things a bit but like i did not put it to normal standards for hooking up um yeah so there was some there was some bushwhacking that needed to happen (laughs) by the way and i would never never tell you that you needed to do right um but I do have a very strong preference for it. Yeah. Um, that's acculturated too, right? Yeah. Because that's not natural and that's not a part of the natural world. No, like for a long time, I, I did my own waxing. I mean... I'd, 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 t- I'd take it all off. Like that was my my preference. Right. And so um, like it wasn't me telling... I I'm I can express my preference without saying this is what you need to do or this is what you must do or mm-hmm. or whatever. It wasn't about trying to change you. And the same thing is true like when ooh, I told the ass waxing story on the last episode. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, this is Bex's preference. I'm going to go do it. Like this right. is something, I, never something I would do. No way. I'm going to go uh, get my ass waxed, my asshole. Like, what, what, what am I doing? But like, oh, it's Bex's preference? Cool. Here we go. Yeah. And, and it's because I'm um, GGG, right? Right. Let's uh, let's read one of the. So I went on the internet and just found some funny Tinder profiles. Okay. Let me read a couple of them here. I'd love if you, uh, for a future episode, Bex would uh, maybe grab some funny ones as well. And then we, I, I got, I have some of my own, and I'll share my my Tinder profile of the month 
next episode. episode. But um, today I want to share some other people's funny ones. This one's from a guy. His name is Ricky. He's 20 at Purdue University. These are screenshots of their Tinder profile. His Tinder profile simply says, don't buy Colgate whitening toothpaste. It says guaranteed whiteness in 14 days. It's been two weeks and I'm still Asian. <laughs> uh, and guy with a sense of humor. Great. Yes, right? yes, exactly. Here's a gal. Her name is sort of blurred, but I think I can make it out. It says Gracie, age 20. Hey, you're pretty cute, but you know what would make your face look even better? If I sat on it. <laughs> you like anything to do with face setting? I do. That's true. Um, okay, I want to do two more, just for fun. Picture that this is a, I think it's a guy. His name is blacked out, though. Okay. 20 mi- 29 miles away, it says. Picture this. <laughs> We're on a date. You take me to a generic restaurant of my choosing. Then we go out for a drink. After a few, I'm a bit tipsy, so we head back to my car. Car's on fire. You're shocked and ready to call 911. You look back at me. I have two marshmallows on a stick ready for roasting and more alcohol. You blush. We cuddle together while my blazing car keeps us warm. We joke. We laugh. You're about to lean in for a, ki- for a kiss. I chloroform you and rob you. Wasn't even my car. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Clearly, we have to get more creative. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, this was my oh, favorite. Man. I already shared this one. This is Odessa19. There's a picture of her with lots of side boobs, so that's why it's my favorite. Side boob is the second best kind of boob. Next to, or after. Uh, under, bottom, yeah, under, under boob. boob. Yeah, under boob is the best boob for sure. So Odessa19, she says, I'm on Tinder to make friends the same way I'm on Pornhub to see the plumber repair the sink. <laughs> Just get it right out it's there. Good. Yes. Good. So good. Well, let's move on to guess you had to be there. It is your birthday month. This is where we discuss a relationship improving experience we recently enjoyed, and we're currently in the middle of enjoying it. It's your birthday month. It is. Yay, March. I'm going to be 39. Dun dun dun. <laughs> I was talking to Ella last night. And we were asking her how old you were going to be. And um, you told her you turned 28 on the 28th. And she laughed in your face. Um, like, laughed a lot. Yeah, I think what she was actually laughing at is 28 on the 28th. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it's, it, it appeared that she was laughing like, there's no way you're 28. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing is, like, how many times we've told her what your age is, and she still has no idea. Doesn't care. Yeah. Doesn't, yep. No, and you could tell you're 65 wouldn't register at all yep uh, 115 she'd be like okay <laughs> <laughs> age is irrelevant josh right and so then i told you you finally caught up to me i'm 39 you're 39 that means next year your mom's gonna be older than me and she's like really <laughs> <laughs> so i grounded her for a week <laughs> understand math (laughs) yeah uh well it's just uh we're doing i i just uh started celebrating your birthday month i figured it was just more of a celebration all month yeah but you said you liked it because well because uh i found out when i was scheduling our flights my flights to and from la 
uh, this month that I will be flying on my birthday. Yes. Which made me birthday flights a bit upset. Not a lot upset, just a bit. Right. And so this coincidence of you deciding we're going to celebrate the birthday month makes that feel not like a big deal anymore, which is lovely. Before I started dating you, I on my birthday every year, I would, this is how, I, this is when I first knew I was an introvert, by the way. On my birthday every year, I would go spend it alone. Mm. Like it was the gift that I gave myself. I'd go watch a movie by myself. Mm-hmm. I still get texts from ex-girlfriends occasionally who are like, on my birthday, they're like, happy birthday, enjoy your day alone. That's awesome. Yeah, because I, I, I was so inundated with people all the other time. It was like, oh, this is the day I get to take off and just not have to be around now i get plenty of those all the time and mm-hmm. so i don't have that same need that i had before but it exposed a need mm-hmm. in many ways mm-hmm. and i think with the need that i'm exposing here is like you and i celebrate all the time i don't have to wait until march 28th to celebrate mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. and to love you Aww. and i don't wait till then to i don't get you birthday gifts Mm-mm. but like I'll get you it whenever you need, whenever you need it. Right. Whatever you want. I'll do nice things all the time, mm-hmm. you know. Got you a massage yesterday, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, happy to do those things. And it doesn't require an obligatory date. Mm-hmm. All right, what'd you get me today for my birthday? Right. I mean, that's, uh, that's a prison of sorts. So I don't want the, um, I don't want a birthday or any other sort of holiday to be the prison warden of uh, of obligation. I like that. How to Love is produced by Podcast Sean. For your host, Rebecca Shearn, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn, reminding you that a life without love is like a rainbow without color. Bye, everyone. Bye.